welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt, the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place April 12th through 14th at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And get your tickets today at our special early bird rate. And right now through December 18th, you can register to win a free ticket to our CanMed Medical Practicum, which will take place on April 12th. It's all part of our CanMed Giving Back campaign, and it's very simple to enter. All you have to do is go to canmedevents.com, click on the CanMed Giving Back banner, fill out the form, and you'll be entered to win. And actually, if you follow us on social media, you will earn some additional entries. So please do go to canmedevents.com, check out the Giving Back campaign, and good luck. In other news, we've started a Facebook group. Each year, we are consistently blown away by the amazing presentations, inspiring conversations, and important connections that are made at the annual CanMed conference. So we decided to keep the conversations flowing online with our CanMed community group. The CanMed community is our virtual forum, allowing you to interact directly with many of the CanMed conference speakers, past attendees, and other group members to discuss all things cannabis from bench to the bedside. Use the link in the show description to visit that group today and join. Our guest this episode is Dr. Mauro Macaron. Mauro is a pioneer in endocannabinoid research. In 1997, his team identified the receptor targets for the first two endocannabinoids that were discovered by Professor Raphael Machulam earlier in the decade, anandamide and 2-AG. Since then, the endocannabinoid system has been the focus of his research. At CAMED 2021, Morrow will present the complex endocannabinoid system and the challenge of developing selective drugs towards its distinct elements. Dr. Macaron's understanding of the endocannabinoid system is exceptional, and I really enjoyed picking his brain on some of the topics that have come up in conversations with other podcast guests. We discuss the technical challenges that prevented researchers from understanding the endocannabinoid system until the early 90s, how the discovery of the endocannabinoid system changed medical research and drug development, the difference between endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids, the large number of enzymes involved in synthesizing and cleaving each endocannabinoid and how blocking or enhancing those enzymes can affect the concentration of endocannabinoids in a person's body, how endocannabinoids work together to create an entourage effect, how an increased level of endocannabinoids can help you forget a painful experience like childbirth or a difficult run, and why researchers need to agree on a standardized formulation of cannabinoids to use for research. Before we get to that conversation, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Cannabis Science and Technology and their newest brand, Cannabis Patient Care. Cannabis Science and Technology focuses on educating the legal cannabis industry about the science and technology of analytical testing, quality control and assurance, 
extraction, cultivation, and processing slash manufacturing. In October, Cannabis Science and Technology launched a new brand, Cannabis Patient Care, which is an educational research for patients, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and caregivers on the latest research, benefits, and treatment options cannabis provides for a variety of illnesses. Go to CannabisScienceTech.com to learn more. And it wouldn't be the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast without some good coffee. And for that, we always turn to the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. If you don't know, Hemp Coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product, rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out HempCoffeeExchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mauro Macaron. Good afternoon, Mauro. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Ben. Absolutely. And we're very excited to have you as a presenter at CanMed 2021. I'm really interested to see what you have to present on. And for people who maybe aren't familiar with you or familiar with your work, I was hoping we could start if you would give sort of a brief bio of who you are and the research that you've done into the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, well, I'm a biochemist and uh, I work as a full professor at University of Rome and uh, recently I moved to University of L'Aquila that is uh, nearby. I was involved for uh, almost uh, three decades in uh, lipid uh, signaling, so how certain fat molecules, fatty molecules can bring uh, information in our body. And I was there when endocannabinoids were discovered. And since then, I made of that a major uh, subject of my research activity. So my group works actively on the endogenous components that we call endocannabinoids. So that's fascinating. So you were actually there when the endocannabinoid system was first discovered? Uh, yeah, you know, we issued our first paper in uh, 1997, and you know that the first endocannabinoid, anandamide, was discovered by Raphael Meshulam group, uh, Meshulam's group in uh, 1992, and then the second major endocannabinoid, 2-arachidonylglycerol, was discovered in 1995 again by Meshulam and independently uh, Sugura. So uh, two years after the discovery of these compounds, we were able to show some properties of their um, uh, receptor targets. And so I, I know we're going to get pretty deep into the endocannabinoid system and all the different body systems and organs that it touches. But maybe it'd be good to start for, again, people who maybe aren't as familiar, if you could kind of give a broad 
broad brush summary of what is the endocannabinoid system and what function does it serve in the body? Well, you know, uh, this, is a, uh, this, this is a system because it is composed of many molecules. Uh, some uh, are able to activate targets, and uh, these are uh, called agonists uh, of uh, receptors and are the true endocannabinoids. Um, endocannabinoids come from fatty acids that we eat and uh, we know for a long time like arachidonic acid. And then we have all the targets of these endocannabinoids, again, receptors on the surface of our cells, uh, enzymes, little machines that break down or synthesize the endocannabinoids, uh, other proteins on the membranes that can uh, transport endocannabinoids in and out the cells, and uh, therefore, uh, it is quite an ensemble of uh, uh, molecules. We should say uh, basically distributed everywhere in our body. Uh, you can find them in virtually in all uh, tissues uh, where they play different roles. So given that the endocannabinoid system seems to be so ubiquitous, as you mentioned, it's pretty much present in almost all the body tissues and all the body organs. Why do you think it took so long for researchers to really discover the endocannabinoid system and, and the role that it plays in the body? Uh, this, is a, this is a really a good question, Ben. But, the, you know, uh, lipids and endocannabinoids, again, are lipids, are fatty molecules, are quite difficult to handle. And the research on these molecules uh, is never easy. Uh, is, it is not yet possible to uh, buy something from a company that all at once allow you, allows you to uh, measure uh, the amount of these components uh, and to understand if they are present and if they are what they do. So it is maybe a, real, a, a, a purely technical question or scientific problem, if you want, that lipids are difficult to handle. And it was then after uh, many years of research on proteins and then on uh, nucleic acids, the information material of, our, of uh, our cells, that we were able to look more carefully into lipidic uh, substances. And uh, therefore, uh, in the 80s uh, for arachidonic acid derivatives and then in the 90s for endocannabinoids, uh, research uh, focused on these molecules and was able to make a, a kind of quantum leap uh, since then. Interesting, interesting. And now, since the discovery of this system, and as we mentioned, it is involved in so many different organs and tissues, how is that knowledge sort of changed how, you know, medical research is done into different disorders that may affect these systems? Uh, well, it is true that the discovery of endocannabinoids immediately attracted uh, also uh, pharmaceutical companies because the uh, uh, endocannabinoids themselves and the targets that they uh, hit in the cells uh, can uh, represent novel targets for novel therapeutics in a time where we did not have so many new, totally innovative targets to look at. Uh, 
Uh, therefore, uh, in a few years, basically uh, one and a half decade, we could, could say, uh, uh, enzymes that break down endocannabinoids became uh, targets for intense uh, research uh, efforts uh, by all major pharmaceutical companies all over the world. And so were the receptors. So in a way, these compounds have filled the gap uh, and in this, in this gap, therapeutic perspectives seem to be very, very strong. Great. And as I was doing the research for this conversation, I did come across your paper entitled Endocannabinoid Sig Signaling at the Periphery 50 Years After THC. Um, it's quite extensive look at the endocannabinoid system. And as I've have mentioned several times, all the different organs and, and body systems that it interacts with. Um, and I, I will put a link to that paper in the show notes in the description so everyone can take a look at that. I very much encourage people to read it. Um, and a lot of heavy hitters in the, in the co-authors of that paper, including our dear friend here at CanMed, Dr. Raphael Machulam. I was hoping we could kind of use maybe that paper as a framework to explore the endocannabinoid system a bit more. So maybe let's let's start with covering some of the different systems that the endocannabinoid system interacts with and that really show that promise for therapeutics that you mentioned. Yeah, but first, uh, well, thanks for the quotation. And I like to say that that was a, a, a community paper that I happened to put together and coordinate. Uh, with uh, colleagues that have contributed the most uh, to the field in the la uh, since the discovery of uh, THC, tetrahydro-delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. And this gives me the chance to make a clear point. Uh, plant extracts, so the phytocannabinoids like THC, were discovered approximately 30 years before the endogenous cannabinoids. So we have to clearly make a distinction between the endogenous compounds that all of us, we do have, and the, those compounds that some of us decide to uh, take uh, in different ways by the plants. And these are very different. So cannabinoids were discovered uh, almost now uh, more than 50 years ago in 64, again by Raphael Meshulam. And only after that, we'll, we understood that there are endogenous compounds that uh, are, activate uh, the targets, accidentally act activated also by the plant extract. And uh, uh, therefore, cannabinoids are something different from the endocannabinoids. Uh, the, endo the endocannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system certainly... Uh, uh, holds a lot, uh, hold a lot of promise for uh, central, the central nervous system, where it can control, can contribute to uh, mood. Uh, there are um, some indications whereby uh, depression can take advantage of an inhibition of the uh, cleavage of the endogenous cannabinoids, for instance. But also at the periphery, uh, bone homeostasis, uh, rather than reproductive functions, 
rather than um, energy homeostasis, which means food intake, the pleasure of eating food, the, uh, uh, the search for palatable uh, food, and the way we uh, take energy out of food, making more fats like uh, lipogenesis or breaking fats in the lipolysis, all these aspects are in a way or another under control of uh, the endocannabinoids. So that's interesting when you're sort of making that disti- distinction between the endocannabinoids and the phytocannabinoids. And I think at least I understand that, you know, folks who benefit from cannabinoid therapies typically may have um, a deficiency in their endocannabinoids that the body is is creating endogenously. And from what I understand in, in talking with you, that the endocannabinoid system is a very complex system with a lot of different things at play. So how many different ways could someone develop a deficiency in their endogenous cannabinoids? Oh, there are actually many, which makes the the field complex, but also challenging and promising. Uh, Just to give you a general guideline, each endocannabinoid is uh, biosynthesized by one or more enzymes, and then it is uh, cleaved by one or more additional enzymes. Uh, If you are able to uh, block or enhance uh, any of these enzymes, you can modify the final content of endocannabinoids, what is called in general the endocannabinoid tone. And in our body, apparently, the way we uh, use, uh, we take advantage of endocannabinoids as very... Um, uh, um, special signals is through metabolism. So there is a metabolic control. In other words, the way our body decides how much endocannabinoid must be in a certain cell at a certain point uh, can make a real difference between health and disease. So you mentioned that there are a lot of different endocannabinoids Roughly, how many different endocannabinoids do we know of, and are there more? Uh, So far, we can say that we know uh, a dozen, uh, of which still the very first two to be discovered, anandamide and 2-AG, those that I mentioned before were found already in 1992 and 1995. Those two remain... uh, the most interesting because apparently they hold the they are uh, uh, the, the the main signals that our cells uh, use. Yet we have to admit that of the quite uh, many others, we don't know yet much. Uh, so maybe we have not learned enough about anandamide and 2AG uh, that we decided to investigate uh, thoroughly the others. And therefore, we cannot really predict if another of these endocannabinoids can can be more relevant for a certain specific condition, maybe a specific disease. One of the, the topics that always comes up in talking about 
cannabis medicine is this whole idea of the entourage effect. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that um, from an endocannabinoid perspective. And, you know, we were just talking about there are, are many different endocannabinoids. So is there sort of an entourage effect that's happening endogenously as well? Now, this is also a very interesting question, Ben, because uh, we have learned, uh, and it is clear, that there are compounds that do not act directly on the receptor targets of the endocannabinoids, but can potentiate the activity of other endocannabinoids on on, uh, those receptors. Why? Because they interfere with the metabolism of those endocannabinoids. For instance, by blocking the uh, uh, hydrolytic enzymes. And this entourage effect seems to be relevant under many, many circumstances. And again, also the endogenous compounds, not to mention the plant extracts that we might ingest for whatever reason, uh, also the endogenous compounds can play this entourage effect. And you mentioned earlier when we were talking about how it took so long for researchers to really fully understand the endocannabinoid system. You mentioned that it's hard to test someone for the levels of endocannabinoids that are in their system, or at least it was earlier. Is there a better system for doing that now? Can someone, you know, go and get tested and get lab results in terms of figuring out if they have um, an endocannabinoid deficiency? Uh, Basically, the techniques remain uh, sort of uh, highly specialized. You have to use what is called uh, liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. Uh, uh, maybe w- w- it is true that now you can find these techniques uh, much easier than it was uh, uh, just a few years ago. However, you need a high level of specialization and a high uh, level of expertise to do these assays. It is not like for other uh, substances in our blood that with a drop of blood in 20 minutes uh, you have uh, your, uh, uh, your data. Uh, It is still quite challenging. Uh, There are um, investigations uh, looking for alternatives, uh, and uh, this might change uh, the the scenario in the coming years, but so far you still need a high level of specialization and uh, quite sophisticated machinery to do these assays. And I would imagine, too, would the level of endocannabinoids in a person's system sort of depend on different stresses or as you said you know it can be part of metabolism so could do the levels sort of fluctuate throughout the day ah, this is uh, this cannot be really said uh, conclusively from a scientific point of view because uh, to my knowledge it has never been tested in a very uh, solid scientific manner. But what we know is that there are changes there are uh, during the day rather than during different conditions. For instance, the estrus cycle in uh, women. And certainly there are changes from individual to individual, so interpersonal changes. Uh, we cannot yet assign a certain a meaning to a certain value 
we are not at the stage of defining threshold values uh, below which everything is uh, okay for the uh, world population and above which there might be a problem. Uh, you, we, are, we are, let's say, starting to learn uh, how these uh, differences could be meaningful for our health. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, I personally, I'm a runner, so I am familiar mm -hmm. that, as I believe, and you can, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that anandamide is sort of what's credited with the runner's high. Do I have that correct? Uh, yeah, but it depends on uh, the way you, uh, what you mean with high. Uh, what I can tell you is that right. uh, there could be an increase in anandamide, but uh, maybe to cope with the uh, pain that can be uh, associated with an extensive physical exercise, because uh, endocannabinoids like anandamide are certainly uh, the, um, uh, analgesic. So there is a, the hypothesis that uh, when you practice a lot, but also in other circumstances, like in the delivery phase, uh, when you, you are delivering a baby, an increase of endocannabinoids help you to cope with uh, pain. Uh, there is also something extra, uh, something more that seems very interesting. Uh, the fact that an increased uh, level of, of endocannabinoids might help you to forget aversive memories. Uh, so to forget something that you don't, did not really like, but that in terms of evolution uh, must be done again. For instance, once, more, once again in a parturition. Uh, so the, the, the pain that the, the mother uh, can feel in, the, in delivery is uh, uh, forgotten better with an increase with an increase of anandamide. Uh, so it's not a, that you feel better as if you were smoking a joker, but you might feel less pain and forget something which is negative uh, due to this increased level of endocannabinoids. So that's interesting. So you're telling me that my body is helping me forget the pain from that run so that I'll, I'll get up and do it all over again the next day. Exactly. <laughs> and you like to do it again and you don't associate the negative memory or the pain feeling uh, that, that you had. That is certainly a clever trick because uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I do get out there and do it again. Um, I did want to talk to you a bit more about, um, you know, cannabis therapeutics or maybe just, you know, phytocannabinoids. And so yeah. one of the, the newer aspects that we've been seeing research on in, at CanMed is looking into sort of these different types of cannabinoids, whether it be in acid form or even in uh, cannabinoid varins. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit to sort of how these different forms of the cannabinoids um, how does their effect differ on, on the body? Well, uh, as for the acids, uh, you know that we also have uh, endocannabinoids that are uh, acidic, like uh, N-arachidonylglycine. It is a natural substance, an endogenous substance with uh, 
an um, acid tail. So it is an endocannabinoid acid, actually. And we know that it mimics some of the properties of anandamide, uh, for instance, with the low af- with affinity for type 1 cannabinoid receptors, uh, with uh, um, an anti-inflammatory activity, and again, analgesic properties. The same can be uh, said for the main uh, cannabinoid acid that is a phytocannabinoid this time, a derivative of THC uh, and 11 oic acid. But besides the chemistry behind, is a, an acid form of THC. But this one is a form of excretion, is a, a metabolite that has to be... Uh, um, wasted by the body. So if you add acidic tails to endogenous or uh, plant-derived cannabinoids, you certainly have uh, different effects. Um, Maybe what is more complex is to understand how these uh, molecules, along with the uh, varins, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, uh, this, uh, the, the THCB, the tetrahydrocannabibarin, uh, they play together with the other components of a plant extract or the endocannabinoid system. And this uh, complexity of molecules working together is a real challenge to be understood. Uh, having THC having a CBD, cannabidiol, having both together or having them along with other less investigated uh, compounds can make really a huge difference in the biological activity that they have. That's got to be the biggest challenge of all is that there seems to be so many different compounds at play here and, and it seems to be very individualistic too, in terms of what's, what the need is in the individual body. So I imagine that must be a very big challenge for anyone who's trying to develop a a therapeutic. Yeah. And you know, what I like to, to say as much as I can is that it is a pity that we did not yet uh, decide which are the standardized formulations to be tested also in therapeutic terms. Because because if we keep on using different formulations of which maybe you only know the amount of THC and CBD, but you do not really, I I don't want to to seem unpolite, but you don't seem to, to care at all about the others, you actually miss the opportunity of learning from what you are doing, because using different things will not give you a solid uh, knowledge that will finally help you to advance your understanding. We have to clearly say that cannabis is not one. You can have as many cannabis, uh, as many formulations are uh, going around, are being used uh, or can be used. Uh, So the composition of each formulation uh, and also the amount of the different components of each formulation can make really a difference. And we should now decide how to standardize these things 
with the hope of learning, maybe from mistakes, but in a five-year time, ten-year time, we will really know better what is good, what is less good for our our health. That's a really interesting point, and it it really touches on you know a lot of the different com- conversations I've had on the podcast and in presentations that we've had in previous CanMeds is. First of all, from a testing perspective, it's difficult for them to have assays that are going to detect all the different cannabinoids or and we haven't even gotten into terpenes and flavonoids and stilbenoids. Oh, yeah. I, I am interested to get your thoughts on that. But from a testing perspective, it's hard for them to really get a full profile of what the product is. From a cultivation side, it's very hard for them to produce a consistent product. And then it's interesting to hear you say from a research perspective that it's difficult for you to have a real standard medicine to work off of. So it seems to be a problem that really touches all the different aspects of yeah, the industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is a problem that finally has to be faced. And I'm perfectly aware that it is not a trivial problem. If you consider that we know that uh, from a cannabis extract, from a cannabis sativa or cannabis indica, both used to make uh, um, uh, formulations uh, used uh, in therapy, you can expect at least 110 different phytocannabinoids and on top of them, at least 440 non-cannabinoid components like terpenoids, flavonoids, uh, and, uh, and so many others. So it is a challenge, but it is just because uh, uh, this challenge can lead to real good uh, drugs, uh, therapeutic drugs, that we have to uh, uh, take it in the proper way. There are no shortcuts to reach uh, uh, in an easy way a, a good drug at the end. Uh, you have to uh, study it properly uh, the, the composition and the effects of uh, these combinations. And, and maybe if we did that 20 years ago, now we would really know so much more than we could have more uh, therapeutics uh, that are active, effective, and are based on these uh, cannabinoids. Yeah, it certainly would have been nice to get a jump start 20 years ago, but I, I know... At least here in the United States, that that was not possible given the, the, the laws. But thankfully, those seem to be loosening and, and research has really come a long way. So we're excited in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and if I may add, uh, Ben, another clear distinction that we should make is between uh, recreational cannabis and medicinal cannabis. Because uh, a, a therapeutic use of cannabis under the uh, responsibility and the control of a physician that uh, continuously looks uh, 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 looks after his patient is something. And to my understanding, that could be uh, made as free as possible. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a recreational use of cannabis can be uh, dangerous. It's not not at all true that these compounds are harmless, especially if you think of uh, the, the, what is going on is available also through um, internet and other uh, means to uh, young people. You can really find formulations where 
THC itself is 10 more, 10 times more concentrated than in others. And uh, other formulations where you also have unexpected compounds. So a, a, a free uh, recreational cannabis can be more dangerous than useful. And certainly, it, I, I have the feeling that certainly this uh, mixing up the two, recreational and therapeutic, did not help uh, the, the medicinal cannabis. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um at least for a long time here in the United States. And actually, it is still the case today. It's been classified as a, a Schedule One drug, which, which states that there is no known therapeutic use, which I think we've pretty much disproven. Um, and certainly your work and, and the work of many others have done that. So yeah. hopefully, um, and sooner than later, we can remove that tag. <laughs> Um, and before I let you go, because I know I'm, I'm coming up on the end of the time that I, I promised to keep you, um, I did want to talk a bit more about terpenoids, flavonoids, stilbenoids. So sort of these, these compounds that are present on the plant that aren't necessarily cannabinoids. So therefore, they're not really interacting as endocannabinoids. At least I wouldn't think so. So, But are they sort of mimicking other endogenous compounds within the body to kind of help those cannabinoids do what they need to do? Well, you know, for for some of them, there are uh, activities known for decades, like uh, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and some may also have specific targets that are certainly different from the targets uh, of the endocannabinoids. So again, the concept of the entourage effect could come out here in the sense that the combination of these compounds, non-phytocannabinoid compounds, together with some phytocannabinoids that are present in a formulation, can change the reaction of the endogenous system to them. And we do not know much about these uh, uh, interactions and these uh, interference among uh, components. And once again, th this is why we must uh, standardize formulations and uh, investigate the effects uh, in a systematic, uh, very uh, sound uh, manner. You know, some people might find it maybe discouraging to, to hear how little we still know or how much work we still have to do. But um, I find it fascinating and exciting that there's still so much more to know and so much more potential um, within this plant and within this system um, as well. So I guess with that, that's a good place to stop. Um, first, I want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. And before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity if there's um, a website that you'd like to point people to, or if you, I don't know if you're involved on social media or anything like that, um, any sort of plug you want to give to the work that you're doing so people who are interested can learn more, um, it'd be great to share that. Ah, thank you so much, Ben. I, actually, I suggest people to look through PubMed, which is an official uh, site, open, public, uh, where scientific studies are reported rather than uh, uncontrolled or less scientific, not to say gossip, uh, that you can find easily elsewhere. So please, when you want to know more, try to have a good uh, source of information where it is clear 
that things that are claimed uh, are claimed because there is a scientific uh, um, uh, background uh, well recognized by the scientific community. So once again, you can go to PubMed, an NIH um, uh, site, and uh, under my name, you might find uh, papers and whatever you want to know more, I'll be glad to uh, keep in contact and uh, exchange uh, information. That is excellent. And that is excellent advice. Um, and, and things beyond cannabis too, always make sure that you're, you're trusting your sources. So, exactly. So Mauro, thanks yeah. again for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you out in Pasadena for CanMed. Thank you so much, Ben, for the opportunity. And I look forward to meeting you and many other uh, colleagues and friends uh, to discuss this uh, fascinating topic. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mauro Macaron. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, Cannabis Science and Technology. Some sad news to report, but this will be our last episode for the year. That's right, no new episode on December 23rd, as we take a little break to enjoy the holiday season. Don't worry, we will be back with a brand new episode January 6th. I hope you'll take this opportunity to get caught up on one or more of our past episodes. And if you have a request or suggestion for a future guest, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at canmedevents.com or hit us up on one of our social media properties. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous shows, we'd appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button on your podcast player and gave us a five-star review. All right, that's it. Happy holidays, happy new year, stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast.